In the first khutbah, I would like to talk about the issue of minorities. We see that right-wing parties are gradually gaining strength, whether it is to some extent in North America, mostly in Europe. And this is spreading all the way uh, to India, where we see that when they come into power, they basically marginalize the minorities. And the BGP government of uh, India, basically they passed this uh, citizenship amendment bill, which will grant citizenship to six religious minorities from Pakistan coming into India and from Afghanistan and or Bangladesh. And the communities who have been named in that amendment bill, basically uh, the Hindu community, the Sikh, the Buddhist, Jain, Parsi, and Christian. So the Muslims have been left out. Now the, the issue is that, you know, this kind of a bill in India which is actually a secular country. It is not based on any religion as such. If you look at the constitution of India, the ethos of that constitution talks about secularism. And faith cannot be made a basis of, you know, granting citizenship to one against the other. And those who are opposed to the, this, they are basically saying that the minorities um, even there are minorities within the Muslims, whether in Pakistan or Afghanistan, or uh, if you look at the surrounding countries, you know, if the issue is that they are persecuted, it's not only Hindus. You know, they, they bring up the example of Ahmadis in Pakistan, the Shias in Pakistan, as well as the Hazara, you know, uh, community in Quetta area. And so if you're really talking about helping the persecuted minorities, you should have included all these other groups also, who are Muslims. Uh, not only that, if they really were looking about this issue of helping the persecuted minorities, you went all the way from Pakistan to Afghanistan. You don't have a common border with Afghanistan. You went to the other side to Bangladesh. Why not Myanmar? What about the uh, Rohingya, you know, minorities who are suffering? They happen to be Muslims. And this is where the issue is that, you know, Muslims are being excluded from this idea. And this is where the bias of the BJP government, you know, comes out very clearly. 
They also introduced something known as National Register of Citizens in the uh, state of Assam in the northeast, which has many, many refugees who come from Bangladesh. Mostly the, uh, there are many, many Hindu from the Bengali origin. And um, there are also Muslims there. When this National Register of Citizens was implemented in that state only, not on a, uh, you know, entire India. Basically, they, before they published it, they realized that they actually have hundreds of thousands of Bengali Muslims who have been left out of that list. So the list was not published, it was shelved, and then they came up with this Citizenship Amendment Bill, which will now automatically grant citizenship to those Bengali Hindus who are there who don't have any document to show that they were actually originally from uh, that part of India. And this is where the concern is, and that's why you hear in the, in the news about the protest which started with the university students, not only the Muslim universities, but even other you know, non-Muslim uh, student groups have joined together. Many, many Hindu and Sikh leaders and political activists have been with Muslims on this issue in protesting against this discriminatory, you know, bill uh, passed by the Indian government. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them power in order to basically stop this madness which is going on in India at the moment. <clears throat> Especially keeping in mind that, you know, the Babri Masjid happened just... Uh, you know, uh, very recently, before that you had the Kashmir issue. So when you put all these things together, you see that very clear bias against the Muslim, you know, values and sentiments. But I don't think we also, we only should be looking at the issues far away. Locally also we have to be vigilant. This kind of mentality is there. And we have gone through it. <clears throat> If you remember the <clears throat> Tory government of uh, Harper, you know, they basically passed the bill which is known as Bill C-24, where the, um, the bill basically said that even if there is a fellow Canadian born, and if he is convicted of uh, crimes of terrorism or treason against Canada, you know, they will be thrown out, their citizenship will be stripped, and they will be sent back to the homeland of the parents. And this basically was referring to the group in Canada, they were arrested, you know, Toronto 18 group uh, on, on this issue. And this is where the, the, the point was that, you know, treat them, if they are born here, they are Canadians, if they are doing something wrong, Take them to the court, convict them, put them in jail, or whatever you have to do. But you cannot say, okay, we'll strip them of their citizenship. Especially if they are, you know, uh, Canadian-born. This is where you are bringing two, you know, class of uh, citizenship. And when uh, this bill was passed, it became a controversial issue. And the liberal opposition at that time, you know, spoke against it. And when the liberal government came, they repealed parts of the bill which was rele relevant to this issue. And so this is where we have to realize that, you know, this is a global problem 
where minorities now are being uh, ignored or mar marginalized, and we have to be uh, clear about this issue. And being a Muslim minority in Canada, we also have to be vigilant. And this is where I say you have to get involved in the system. You cannot live in isolation. Otherwise, a day will come and you will sit there and, you know, cry on your own suffering. But then there will be no answer there. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, emphasizes the point of Amr bil ma'roof and nahil munkar. It is not only for namaz and roza. It is also for social issues. <clears throat> and if we don't get involved in Amr bil ma'roof and nahil munkar on that level, according to the hadith of the Prophet, the evil people will come to rule over you, and then you will sit down, pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala against them, and Allah will not listen to your dua. Because you didn't do your part, which was to stand up against zulm, which was happening at that time. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, uh, give us the tawfiq to understand the wisdom of Islam, especially. Let me end with this uh, statement of Amir al-Mu'minin Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salatu wassalam. And this is just one sentence from the famous uh, letter that the Imam wrote to Malik Ashtar where he says, لَن تَقَدَّسَتْ أُمَّةٌ لَا يُخَذُ لِلْذَعِيفِ فِيهَا حَقُّهُ أَنِ الْقَوِيِّ He says, no nation can ever be considered to be muqaddas, you know, sanctified or holy or good, unless the right of the weak one in that society is taken from those who are the stronger ones. And that is the criteria of taqaddus as far as the, you know, civility or um, honor of a community and a nation is concerned. In Ahsan al-Hadith, Kitab Allah al-Aziz, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Wal-Ansar, Inna l-Insan al-Fi Khusr, Illa al-Lazina aman wa'amil al-Salihat, Wa-Tawansu bil-Haqq, Wa-Tawansu bil-Sabr. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان العين الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الذي لا إله إلا هو الحليم الكريم غافر ذنب وقابل طوب وهو الغفور الرحيم ونشهد أن لا إله إلا هو العتوف على العباد بجوده والعواد على المظنبين بحلمه ونشهد أن محمد نبيه وحبيبه سيد المرسلين والشفيع المظنبين ورحمة للعالمين صلى الله عليه وآله الضعين لا سبيل الله بالحكمة والموز الحسنة قادة الأمم وولي عن نعمة ومعدن رحمة عسوك يبعد الله بطوبا ما صلف من ذنوبكم In this uh, anti-Muslim bias there in India these fundamental groups those who are attached to the BGP uh, you know, government they go around propagating something. They've been doing it for a long, long time. This myth that Muslims who are originally Indians, means not, not those Indians whose ancestors came, let's say, four or five centuries back from other places. They say 
those who are originally Indian and now they are Muslims, they should realize that their ancestors became Islam by force. The Muslims who ruled India for centuries, they forced them to convert to Islam. Now this is the same tune which was used by the European missionaries, the Christian missionaries and the European uh, scholars about the spread of Islam. You know, this Im image that um, a person on the horse with a sword in one hand and the Quran on the other hand is very, very common. You know, this is how Islam spread. They go around with a sword and the Quran. Either you accept the Quran, otherwise we chop off your head. And, and this is Christian missionaries actually started propagating that first and then it was carried on by the Orientalists, the European scholars, when they talked about Middle East and Islam. But it's only lately that the Western scholars of Islam are trying to correct the image of history. I'll just give you one quotation from Ayra Lapides, whose, uh, whose book, A History of Islamic Societies, is one of the references used these days. And then he, there he talks about it, and it's very interesting. He says, the question of why people convert to Islam has always generated intense feeling. Early generations of European scholars believed that conversion to Islam was made at the point of the sword and that conquered peoples were given the choice of conversion or death. This is what he's talking about the earlier generation of European scholars. Then he says, it is now apparent that conversion by force, while not unknown in Muslim countries, was in fact rare. Many conquerors ordinarily wish to dominate rather than convert. Many conversions to Islam were voluntary. If I may paraphrase, you know, this, this concept is that um, many times we hear about futuhat of the Khulafa during the early days. You know, they were not in the business of spreading Islam. They were in the business of spreading the Muslim empire. There is a difference between, you know, spreading the, or the expanding the Islamic empire by sword versus forcing the conquered people to become Muslims. If you look at Egypt, for example, or Iran, Fars and Egypt were the uh, frontier province of those days, early days of the Muslim Khilafat. And uh, during the days of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, this is much, much later on during our uh, fifth Imam's time, we see that Umar ibn Abdul Aziz wrote uh, a letter to his governor in Fars and Egypt, two opposite sides of the empire, asking him that what is the problem that we have, you know, we control those areas for so long, but the majority of those people are still not Muslims. And this shows that, you know, they, they ruled those areas, but they did not force those people to become Muslims. One of them, from Egypt, he wrote a reason there. He said, if they, if they become Muslims, who will pay the jizya to us? They were more into, you know, the treasury being filled with the tax which is taken from the non-Muslims. 
because zakat and other things are not applied on non-Muslim citizens, so they have another tax, which is what is jizya. So they were more in the business of expanding the Muslim empire and not the Islamic faith. Even if you look at the last uh, empire of the Muslims, which ended with the first war, the Ottoman Empire, you know, the Turks who ruled Greece for about five centuries is just next door. But you will never see that the Greek, you know, people converted um, to Islam. Very rarely. And they ruled that area for five, years, five centuries. Why? Because they were not in this business. They said, you know, military and foreign affairs we will control. And we want you to pay the annual tax which is due to us. Rest, whatever you do internally, they left the church manage the country. And this is where we come to realize that there is a difference between the spread of Islam as a faith and the extension or expansion of the Muslim empire. And the same story is about India. They ruled uh, you know, India for about 800 years, Muslims when they conquered there. <clears throat> but you will never ever see in any stage of that Muslim history that the Muslims were in majority in that country. Which shows that they were not really in the business of, you know, forcefully uh, converting people into Islam. A very prominent uh, journalist and historian of India, Dr. Khushwan Singh, who was also editor of a prominent um, weekly magazine in India, is a book, uh, he comes from the Sikh background, he has a book called A History of the Sikhs. There he talks about the early days of Islam in India. And he very clearly states that Islam was spread in India not by Muslim rulers, but by the Muslim spiritual masters and missionaries. So there is a, you know, this myth we have to keep out of our mind. We get bombarded with that. You know, and this is where um, we realize that even if you look at the example of Indonesia, let me end with that example. If you look at population-wise, the first country in the list which has the largest Muslim population is Indonesia. No Muslim army or navy ever stepped in, in, in those areas. This was all conversion by the missionaries and by the Muslim merchants who by their akhlaq impressed the local people. A point that Muslims in the West are missing out. We so much think about assimilation, we do not think about our duty and role in the Western society. Of spreading Islam, not by books and TV programs, but by our own akhlaq. Imam Jafar al-Sadiq very clearly says, you know, كُونُ دُعَاتًا لِلنَّاسِ بِغَيْرِ أَلْسَنَتِكُمْ Be du'at. Du'at means da'i, a missionary. Those who call others to Islam. Call people to Islam, but not by your words, by your actions. How you interact with them, the honesty. You know, these are the issues which should be, you know, very important in our mind that wherever we interact, especially with non-Muslims, 
It should be in such a way that we are not just an individual, we are actually a member of the Muslim community. And whatever we do will have an impact on, on, on our faith. Especially if you're a Shia, remember, the Imams have a statement where they say that, you know, be Zain for us and do, do not be Shane for us. Zain means beauty and Zenith. Be a source of beauty for us that people would like us and love us when they find out that you are a follower of Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq. They will re respect Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq. Do not be a disgrace for us because whatever you do, something bad will reflect on us as your Imams. And this is something we have to keep in mind at all the time. And this is how we'll be able to actually not only uh, negate the wrong propaganda against Islam and Muslims, we'll be able to have a positive impact in this part of the world, inshallah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidil Mursaleen wa Shafi'il Madhunibin Nabiyyina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala Imam al-Muttaqeen wa Amir al-Mu'minin Ali ibn Abi Talib sallallahu alayhi wa وعلى سيدة النساء العالمين سيدتنا فاطمة بنت رسول الله صلوات الله عليها وعلى سيد الشباب أهل الجنة الحسن المجتبى والحسين الشهيد بكربلاء عليهم الصلاة والسلام والعيمة المسلمين علي بن الحسين ومحمد بن علي وجعفر بن محمد وموسى بن جعفر وعلي بن موسى ومحمد بن علي وعلي بن محمد والحسن بن علي عليهم الصلاة والسلام اللهم صل على مولانا الحجة بن الحسن صاحب العصر والزمان اللهم صل على محمد ما حيا صار البدو تغيان هذه بأبنيتش شرك والنفاق حاصل فل البغ والشقاق صلوات الله والسلام عليه وعلى أباء الكرام متسلت الليالي والأيام اللهم عجل فرج وصح المخرج وكحل ناظرنا بنظرة منا إليه وجعلنا من المستشدين بين يديه اللهم اجعلنا ممن يذكر فتنفعه الذكرى إن الله يعمر بالعدل والإحسان ويتائز القربى وينهان الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون